mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be beginning in verse 18. And again, I believe in everything that we're learning and growing in is about our sanctification. Now, the only reason it might not be about sanctification is if you're not saved, if you're not part of the family of God, if there's some reason why you're not really trusting in the precious blood of Jesus. Now, listen to me. It's so important that we understand that the spirit of Antichrist, instead of Christ, uh, is went out to deceive the elect, even if it were possible. So there is a spirit out there that teaches religion, that teaches works, that teaches uh, doctrines of demons. The Bible calls them the synagogues of Satan. So there is a lot of people in our world today that think they're okay, but they're following a false system. And it's not the voice of God. It's not the, 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 the person that God has sent, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. We must always look to the provision of God. So really, as we continue, or maybe by means of dovetailing in and learning what we were looking at last week, let's do a little bit of repetitiveness. Let's start in three... 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you or revile your good conduct, your behavior in Christ may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for being evil. Now listen, we're supposed to be setting apart the Lord Jesus. The Father set Him apart, anointed Him, sent Him down to die for us. And now as we put on the mind of Christ, which is really what you're going to see with good conscience. When it says good conscience, it means co-perception. Co-perception. In other words, our perception, our mind, everything that we are doing lines up with what God is doing. That's co-perception. That's a good conscience. Positionally, we've been given that because of the righteousness of Christ. Positionally, we have a good conscience before God. But you and I both know as we walk, as we live, as we put the rubber to the road, that sometimes our conscience gets defiled. You know, and, and that's what Jesus was even talking about in John chapter 13. When he's washing their feet, they said, no. And Peter says, wash all of me. And he says, I don't need to wash all of you, Peter. It's your feet that get dirty every day. 
When you believe the word that I tell you, when you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you become saved. But then you go out in your walk, in your daily practical walk, and your feet get dirty. Maybe you're at work and you hear cussing. Maybe you're, you're in the wrong place and you see the wrong thing. But whatever it is, maybe you think, maybe you run off into some sin, but your feet get dirty. And you want to put your feet back in the hands of Jesus who come off the throne in heaven, and in the last night of his life, what did he do before he was arrested? He took off his outer garment, and he girded himself with a towel, and he washed the feet of his disciples. He became the lowest servant on the planet. That's what the lowest servant would do. Now, they were already washed. They were already clean because of the word he had spoken to them, and they heard it, and they came to life. But then they had to go out and deal with and be in and be sanctified further and further. And all of us are in that same boat, that same fellowship together. So I want you to understand that when we talk about a good conscience, it's becoming of the mind of Christ. Co-perception, his perception, what he says is true and not what the world says is true. See, because there's a spirit out there that's trying to mislead us and deceive us. I've been calling it culturanity. I've moved to death culture because it's death culture. It's the death of God's perception. It's the death of God consciousness. It's the death of what God has called us to do and the birth of some religious system or some other ism that has nothing to do with making it to heaven. So we want to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, listen to me, because we're getting ready to talk about that it's nothing to do with the filth of the flesh. It's our hearts. It's our consciousness. It's the inside. Yet man wants to do everything on the outside. We want to dress up in nice suits. We want to make stained glass windows. We want to, to do all these things that look really nice on the outside, but God's after the inside. God's after the heart. God's after the spirit. God's after the center of you. He's after your consciousness, your co-perception with him, your spirit that's now married to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And he wants you to become like him who obeyed everything from the Father. He was fully the mind of the Father. They were one together, and he wants to lead us that way now with the Spirit. Romans 8, 14, I might have missed you this every day for the last two years. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Why? Because He's the one that's going to help us understand this moral righteousness that's practically being instilled in our life as we're sanctified. But when we just say, you're not the boss of me, and we put our hand in His face, and we ignore everything that He's doing in our lives, don't be surprised if you what? Suffer for evil? See, we all suffer for evil. We reap what we sow. We make bad decisions. But he's trying to bring us into a place where in our co-perception, in our good conscience, we begin to suffer for righteousness. We begin to do the right thing. It doesn't line up with the wrong thing that the world is doing that's in death culture and then suffering comes because we're saying no to self. Suffering comes because we're speaking out about someone who can save deaf culture. 
Suffering comes for doing good. If it's the will of God that you should suffer for doing good, that's what he wants you to get across as the point. To suffer from doing good than doing evil. And God's children should begin to do good. Why? Because all of salvation is deliverance back into his house because we've now made an agreement with him. Oh, I see. I was being uh, disobedient. I was not believing. I, I was disobeying you. I, I, and that's where original sin comes from. And so now I've come back to a place where I said, okay, you're my father and I will obey you. However, Lord, I have no capacity to do that. And he says, well, just abide with me. Just walk with me. Just be led by my spirit. Just get in my word, prayer, and fellowship, and I will do that for you. I will wash and cleanse you. I will consecrate you. I will sanctify you. But he's not going to do it if you don't sanctify him in your heart and realize the the veracity or the truthfulness of everything that he's saying to us, that he laid down his life to save us. How will he not give us everything else that pertains to life and godliness if we'll just sanctify him and set him apart and consecrate him and make him the most important thing in our life? And then we come to today's lesson. It's 318 of First Peter. And he gives us the greatest example you're ever going to have of somebody that was in the will of God, anointed by God. He was, for this purpose, born, and he suffered for doing good. Okay? He gives you the greatest example of what happened. Let me just read to you quickly. Now, listen, I want to take out all the other difficult passages, but just just bear with me for just a moment. Because some of it's commentary. But let's just read verse 18 and 22. Together, Watch this. Because this is what happens when you suffer for righteousness. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Listen to me, because he suffered once, because he suffered for righteousness, because he obeyed the will of God perfectly, now he's seated at the right hand, the hand of honor, power, authority. He's seated in the place where angels, everybody has been subdued. They are made, listen to me, made to hupotasso him. That's the word there, subject to him. See, this is, this is what it was all about. To bring it all back to where they have to. You and I, we have a choice. Everybody else now is being made to hupotasso him. Because of what he did. Listen to me really clearly. Someone has said we're the only thing in the universe that is not obeying God. The whole universe listens to him. He speaks and demons tremble. But he give us free will choice to hupotasso, to come back under his authority. You think, wow, what's that all about? Well, it's about the garden. See, Adam and Eve had free will. They could choose to be under his authority or they listened to a deceiver. 
They chose to, to come out from under his authority. So all of us are put in the same place with our life in consecration and sanctification in our salvation that Adam and Eve were spiritually. All of us are put in that same place. It's up to us. Positionally, we believe. But when we believe, practically, the Spirit seals us and now wants to lead us into sanctification to teach us to choose that God is always right. To teach us to choose that even if the suffering, even if the pain, even if it doesn't look right, if God said it, it's always right. And we always choose right. Because that's what righteousness is. Right living before God. You always choose righteousness. So now let's read it all, and we'll come back and cover it. See, there's some difficult stuff here, very difficult stuff in this passage. But what you need to get and what I need to get is to understand this right here, spiritual war. If we believe in the precious blood of Jesus, we're automatically baptized into the body of Christ. There's going to be forces that are attacking to try to keep you from following up on that. But what you want to do is sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart, and you want to pursue him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And don't get sidetracked with a bunch of the commentary. But believe me, there's demons that are trying to destroy you. There's a war going on. This is not a playground. It is a battleground for your soul. And Jesus already won the victory. He already won the victory. He's already set down. And everybody is hupotassoing. Many, because they're forced to now, we have a choice to make each day, each moment. Are we going to believe death culture and the devil? Eternity to sway of the wicked one? The whole world, 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked wickedness wicked one marching to the beat of that drum listening to their music and chasing what they're doing however you want to put it but God's children are supposed to be marching in triumph with him we're supposed to be what people look at and say that's what it looks like to be saved that's what the fragrance of Christ is like listen in triumph because he has defeated death. The devil is a defeated foe. And the only power he has over you right now is when you make the choice to follow him as opposed to sanctifying the Lord Jesus in your heart, as opposed to following the Holy Spirit who wants to lead you. That's the only power that he ever has because he's been defeated. He's a toothless lion. You know where James says he goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour? He ain't got no teeth. He just pretends. He lies to you. It's your choice. It's your self-deception. It's your way. But you can be joined with Christ with co-perception and have moral righteousness and be led by the Spirit and always choose to do the will of God if you ask Him. If you practice righteousness now 318 for christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Let's pray. Father, indeed there's a war. Indeed the devil doesn't want us to understand. But Lord, we want to have your mind. We want to be conformed to your image. We want to be transformed by the renewing of the mind so we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of yours. And our flesh gets in the way, Lord. So we ask that you would help us to be crucified with your son, Jesus. And that it would be no longer I who live, but Christ would live in me by faith. The life that I now live, I would live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Speak to us clearly. And help us to go and do. And not just be hearers, but be doers of your word for your glory for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as he talks about the two ways we're going to suffer. Listen to me. The rest of this, the rest of this book, I mean, uh, it's all about suffering. Oh, what does suffering mean? Let me tell you. Here it is. To experience a sensation or an impression usually painful. Now, that's mild, isn't it? It's mild. I can't take this, Lord. I, I, don't, I don't care what it is. When you're in a place where you're like, well, this is too much. And this is wrong. You can get, it can get real painful sometimes when, in fact, your spirit's perfectly safe with God if you're a believer. But it can feel like the suffering is just too unbearable to take. But none of us have suffered yet to bloodshed, we're told in Hebrews 12, as Christ did. None of us has suffered the horrendous death that Christ, which is our example. And now where's he at? He's at the right hand of the Father. Where do we want to be? We want to be in heaven. We want to be, and positionally, again, Ephesians, Paul tells us, I mean, it's amazing stuff. We are already seated there because God doesn't learn anything. He sees the end from the beginning, so he's outside of time, and he knows we're already there. So right now, as an inheritance, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But practically, we know we're still here. We know we still have suffering ahead of us. And it could get very, very crazy if we look at biblical consistency, if we look at the things that the devil wants to do, if we look at how crazy it could be because of what's happened in the past when God allows it, when it's the will of God. Listen to me. The will of God is not all rosy and nice and perfect. 
See, a lot of times we hear that type of theology, don't we? Crossless gospel. We go to a church and they preach that, you know, if you just put some money in the tithe plate, everything's going to be good. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're going to be fine. You know, the churches that blab it and grab it and claim it, you know. I mean, seriously. There's some churches out there that are preaching that, and people love it. Your flesh loves it. You know, your flesh does not want to talk about suffering. But the Bible clearly talks about it. Our flesh does not want to believe about hell. But the Bible, Jesus talked more about hell than any other subject because he doesn't want any of us to go there. And the second subject was money. Because it deceives your eyes. Things deceive your eyes. Do I have that in the right order? I'm just checking. Listen to me. A lot of things we don't want to talk about. That's why we hide from the Bible. That's why we run from the Bible. This Bible will keep you from sin and help you sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. But sin will also keep you from this Bible. I don't want to know. Wish I didn't know. I don't want to know. Listen, not knowing's not going to help you. Is that the kind of doctor you want when you go to the hospital? You want a doctor that said, in class, I didn't want to know? You know what they call doctor that graduates at the end of his class, right? Doctor. He still graduated. Listen, I'm sorry. That's, that's funny. But not. There's lots of things in the Bible that we just try to avoid. I don't want to talk about that. You meet Christians like that? Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what's coming. Let's talk about this suffering. Let's talk about the fact that this could be. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about love. God is love. Love is love. Let's just all love. Can't we all just get along? No, we can't get along. We can't get along. Not if we're going to walk with Jesus. And that's going to cause some suffering. It's going to cause some pain. We have to walk in the truth because He's in the truth. And if we walk in the truth, we have fellowship of one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But the world says, let's just all get along. What, till you're ready to kill me? We can all get along till you decide your death culture doesn't like me. They're killing their own. They kill their own all the time. Drag them off in the bushes. You never hear from them again. I speak in jest, and I'm just being facetious, but I'm serious. Listen to me. Suffering is part of life. The question is, are you suffering because you did evil, you're doing evil, you're being evil, you're ignoring God, or are you suffering in a way that's going to have a reward in eternity? Nothing. Romans 8, 14 Many as are the children of God, are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. But Romans 8, 18, for I am convinced that nothing will compare with the glory that we shall receive with Him. Let me, let me just look there because I just quoted that wrong. wasn't in my notes. Romans uh, 8, 18. We'll get there. Let me just read it to you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will shall be revealed in us. Listen, so suffering helps reveal the glory. Suffering helps us get to the other side. 
I know, it's not a good thing to preach. Come on, guys. We want, we want just all really soft. We want to walk on feathers. We don't want nobody to ever speak loudly. We don't ever want any pain. We don't want anything bad to happen. And, and in fact, listen, what do we do when it happens? When something happens, we freak out and we run to somebody else. We freak out and we run to the world. We freak out and run to their professionals. Now, I'm not telling you never run to a professional. If your roof, roof is leaking, pray about it. But I would probably run to a roofer. But I'd find out which one's a good roofer because some of them will come and fix your roof and you'll still have a problem. With everything through prayer and supplication. Don't just run to them, though. Run to God first. Turn to God first. Find out, am I suffering for evil or am I suffering for good? Find out what the issue is. Be sanctified so you don't go through that suffering for evil, reaping what you sow again. Because that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Suffering because you were standing down there screaming in somebody's face about get saved or go to hell. There might be a place for uh, street evangelism that way. I got nothing wrong with it. But somebody punches you in the face while you're screaming at them and then yelling, repent or burn, just know. You might have been able to do that a little bit differently. But if you look at the Bible and anybody that's living for Jesus, I mean, think about Paul. Think about Peter. All of these guys, they all died for their faith. You think that's suffering? Their flesh was dead, but they made alive in the spirit because they're already alive. But notice the example. Jesus suffered once, conclusively, done, once for all. The just for the unjust. The just means the righteous, the right, the innocent, the holy. He's absolutely innocent and pure. Unjust is the opposite of that. Unrighteous, wicked, treachery, heathen. So the one who was perfect died for those who were not perfect. The one who knew no sin, had no sin, died for those who had no righteousness. Knew no righteousness. Didn't even know they were lost. Paul says, um, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So now we're supposed to be becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Positionally, it's there. God sees it. Practically, people need to see it. Practically, we're supposed to be hupotassoing to the word of God and allowing it to do spiritual surgery on us so that we begin to walk meekly and humbly with our God being led by the spirit so that we know when to speak and when not to speak we know what knowledge to depart to others we know when uh, unrighteousness is coming or trouble or wickedness and God can tell us to turn from it. Go the other way. Don't follow that. And he directs our steps. So Christ suffered once. Listen, once. Only once. Why is that important? You know, under the law, they were constantly killing animals. 
Christ suffered once under the law. They had to kill new animals every day. I don't know if you guys know this, but, but you would have to come to the priest with your animal, and then you would hold its neck while they took a knife and slit its throat, and its blood poured out on the altar. And you always would know something just died for my sin. Something just died. A, a life was taken for me. See, in some ways, that's missing and we don't even realize that Christ died for us. And he was perfect, holy, just. So that he could justify us is what it, the first step is of salvation. Justified. It means just as if we never sinned. Because when we believe that he was the just, when we believe that he died and poured out his blood, when we believe that in our heart and confess it with our mouth, we receive that as a gift. The Holy Spirit seals us, and we have positionally that righteousness forever. Remember, Peter talked about that in chapter 1. But they would do this over and over and over and over, thousands of animals all year long. And they had to fit the description. They had to fit the sacrifice. They had to be the right one. And then the priest would cut that meat up. That animal, the priest would get some for his service because the Levites didn't have any inheritance. Their inheritance was God. That's what now that's that it goes forward. Remember, this is what it is. Our inheritance is God, not this stuff down here. So the Levites had no inheritance, so they would get some of that to feed their family. And then some of it would be either a burnt offering, something would go to God, and then some of it would be given back to that one who brought it. And, th and then they would sit down and sup. Are they eating that food? That's that King James word from Revelation 3.20, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hear my voice and opens the door, it's an invitation to open the door and allow him to come in and you guys just sit down and have a fellowship meal together. That's what it would be. When they were eating, they would know that fellowship was restored to God because of the sacrifice they brought because they agreed that it was wrong and under the law they brought it they held its neck the blood spilled out they said oh my goodness I did something wrong and then all three people would get some of the meat and it would be a fellowship restored and it's the same thing with you and I hope you guys are reading that because that's the memory verse this week Revelation 3.20 he's knocking on the church door He's, I know we use that in Romans Road. It's the, you know, it's the big old ending of Romans Road. But he's knocking on the church door. It's not for unbelievers. It's for believers. Go read the chapter. He's counseling them to buy gold. Refined in the fire. He's counseling them to be consecrated and become like him. And, and yet with our religious system and our works, we've got him locked outside. And he's saying, wait a minute. I died once for all. The whole world sins. And you said you believed. And you said you received me. And yet I'm, knock, I'm knocking at your heart's door. And you're not having fellowship with me. Oh, well, what, what part is mine? The body of Christ. See, when it's divided, you get your part. And you begin to eat your part. You sit down together. You get into the word of God. He was the sacrifice. His blood 
poured out for us. His body, by His body, we are saved. His, his blood The finished work, I know we call it the cross. We always say the cross. You guys know that we say the cross? That's costume jewelry. It's really not the cross. The crux, which means the cross, is his blood. No matter how they would have killed him as a sacrifice, it was still his blood. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the stick. The stick has nothing really to do with it other than the fact that that's what they did with criminals, the worst criminals against Rome at that time. But we always say the cross, and then we say, well, you know I mean the blood. Well, then say the blood. Because if it would have been in, in, in 2000 or, or in 1960, it would have been the electric chair. And if you take up your electric chair and follow me, you'll be saved. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? That's why it was foolishness to the Jew in those days. But that's what we're called to believe. But it's really the blood. He suffered once. Just once. It's conclusive. It's a done deal. Every animal that was killed for hundreds of years under the Levitical law, every one of them prefigured the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was a kofar. Old Testament, it covered, it covered them. It didn't take them away. They were still there. It covered them so that God didn't have to come into the camp and kill everybody for their sin. So it covered them so that God could be in fellowship with them. But with Christ, he takes them away. And what did he do? Every sin of the whole world, past, present, and future, Christ paid for. All the righteous requirement of the law laid upon him. When we say the just for the unjust. That God was fully satisfied with his life. That was perfect. And that's why all of us can be saved. Notice what it says, that he might bring us or bring you. One text says it's you. It's personal because it is. It's personal. It's just you. It's a good way to read the Bible sometimes. If I'm the only one, it's just you. Look, that he might bring you, might bring us to God. Notice the might, that's your free will. It's a free gift. It's all paid for. It's all wrapped up. It's ready to go. He offers it to anyone who will come and receive it and open it and enjoy it. But the word might there is there. Because it's still a free will choice of yours. Which are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? As for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. And it actually means, might, might bring actually means lead towards, draw near. To who? Theos, God. And then it goes on. It gives a little more description. Notice all the beaten and the arrest. Everything's left out here. I think Peter is so deep. This guy is so deep in what he writes. Being put to death. Uh, that means kill. Caused to be killed. Kill hauled. Become dead. In the flesh. Sarks. S-A-R-X. That's what that is. In the flesh. 
It's your skin. It's everything that's not your bones. It's the flesh, or it can even be uh, translated carnal life, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, there's some... uh, I don't know if it's syntax or just dividing or picking at stuff. He's made alive by the Spirit that obeyed God fully. And some will go, well, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, it is. It's the Spirit of truth. They're all one. So I don't want to wrestle with that too long with you. But he's made alive because his spirit was righteous perfectly, because he was just. So he has life because the wages of sin is death, and he was sinless. So his spirit, and that's what you and I are. We're spirits with a body right now making choices whether we're going to obey and come to righteousness or disobey and follow death culture and be deceived and cast into hell. But somewhere we're going to live for eternity, our spirit is. Not this body, this corrupt carnal body, will, this, in, this corruption will put on incorruption. Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 15, can't remember right now. We'll get a new body to survive in the environment that we'll be in for eternity. But our spirit is what this is about. His was righteous. His was perfect. He offered his body, his flesh. But he was alive in his spirit. And thus we should die to our flesh because there's nothing good in the flesh. Thus we should not obey the flesh or its lust because it wars against the spirit that is supposed to be married to Christ with co-perception, learning to morally be righteous. And when you make an agreement with the flesh, it'll always lead you away from God. It'll always lead you away from sanctification. It'll always lead you away from sanctifying the Lord Jesus. It's an enemy. Your flesh is an enemy to God. Nothing good dwells in the flesh, we're told. But your spirit is what he's after. And it's pretty crazy we have to carry this body of sin around. I don't know if you guys know that. In another way, they crucified the worst criminals like this for, for murder and insurrectionists. Of course, they had no charges against Jesus that would have stuck, so he kept his mouth shut. Um, but one of the other ways that they would punish murderers in those days was they would take the dead body and they would tie it to you. You had to carry that body around the city. And everybody knew that you were carrying that dead body because you were a murderer. And then as rigor mortis set in and it stunk, it would separate you from everybody. That's what death does. That's what flesh does. We're not in fellowship. We're not in the word of God. We're not doing the things we're supposed to do because our flesh is so alive. But it would, you would carry it around until it spread clear to your whole body and killed you. They were some cruel people. And they go, that's not good enough. We're going to come up with this cross thing where you stab and you, the nerves and you have to push up to breathe. And they became even more brutal. See, apart from God, we can become some of the brutalest people on the, that there is because the devil just hates God's people. But anyway, 
That's what you and I are doing. We're carrying this body of flesh around with us that's supposed to be dead. And if you let it have anything with your spirit, it'll kill you. It'll spread to the work that God is doing, and it'll begin to kill you. You have to put it in the grave. You have to kick it in the face if it tries to get up. The Bible does say, Paul speaking, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what you have to do. You have to walk by faith. Kick your flesh in the face. If you see it getting up and you know it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not the co-perception, it's not the moral righteousness, you just kick it right in the face and you throw some more dirt on it and you stomp it back down in the grave and you say, you're dead. I'm alive to Christ. My spirit is living. It's married to God and my flesh. And your flesh will get up, believe me. And you'll suffer for it, believe me. But we are alive in the spirit. And that's what God's after. Spirits to come back to him. 19. By whom also he went and preached. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus was dead and he went and preached? No, he was alive in the spirit. His body was dead. Well, why was his body? Why was he? See, this is where it gets controversial. That's why I said... Be real careful, because this is not salvatory. Now, I know there's uh, one lady preacher out there um, who says, if you don't believe that Jesus went to hell and preached to the spirits, then you're not saved. But my Bible says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I'm not going to mention any name, Joyce Myers, but she's a real heretic, um, and she shouldn't be listened to. But I won't mention any names. Joyce Myers, heretic, needs to repent. Sorry. It's humorous, but it's bad. When you begin to tell people that other things that you believe in, you have to believe in order to be saved, it's not what the Bible says. And that's where we get this man's religion and this fleshly religion and this works and everything that we do that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And we call it death culture because really what it's doing, we go, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. We really shouldn't argue about it. Why is there so much division? Because it leads to worse division. It leads to death. It leads to more chaos. It leads to more false doctrine when you begin to teach false doctrine. And you say, well, just a little bit. Well, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, Jesus said. Just a little bit wrong, and you end up off course, and it twists all your other doctrine. Listen to me. Let's just read what it says. Because when Christ was dead, when his body was dead and his spirit was alive, he went and preached. Caruso. It's to herald divine truth. Herald, herald or publish it. You either speak it out loud or you publish it. Uh, divine truth, especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went and preached to who? To the prisons and to the spirits in prison. Well, who's the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient? See, they weren't obeying. That's why they're in prison. See, because all salvation is about obeying, not being disobedient. Everything's about this. Listen. When once the divine or God's long-suffering waited, aren't you glad that God's long-suffering? I am. He waits for us. In the days of Noah, Noah means rest. 
in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, eight is the number of new beginnings, were saved, sozo. Oh, no, wait a minute, that's day sozo, through water. They were saved through water. What did they do? They went through the judgment of God. See, the water was the judgment. This is a very difficult text. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to clear it up just a little bit. So Jesus, now think about it. You can look at this as spirits, spirits in prison. They're under guard. They can't go anywhere. They can be spirits of all the three billion people that died in the flood. Right? Just listen. They didn't listen. They don't have their bodies now because until the resurrection of the living and resurrection of the dead, we don't get our bodies back if we die. They go in the grave. So you can be talking about spirits. That's what they would be because you and I are spirits. We're not, we're not bodies with a spirit. We're spirits with a body. It's very important that we know that. Because then we put the flesh first if we say we're bodies with a spirit. No, we're spirits that now have a body, which, which now we're making decisions on where and what kind of body we're going to have in the future. What kind of life we're going to have in the future. Because we're all eternal. So we can look at it as just those three million people. Or you can look at it as demons who were in charge of death culture and left their proper abode and they begin to do things that God did not give them permission to do and they caused all of death culture. They caused the evil that was going on because they were spirit of antichrist and they were preaching against what Noah was preaching. See, Noah, and this is amazing. See, everybody takes the, the ark and they make it this great big thing that we put on our kids' bedroom wall. But really, about three billion people were laying dead outside. And Tim Hawkins always brings that out. And he says, how come you don't put this on your kids' bedroom wall? You know, of all the people laying there dead and blood everywhere and gore. Because it was judgment. But how were they saved? Through the water. They went through the water. They went through the judgment of God. They didn't have to partake of it because where were they at? In faith, Noah obeyed God. Listen, by faith, listen, look at it. It's Hebrews 11.7. Let's look at it. 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 11.6, for without faith it's impossible to please God, for you first must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. 11.7, we're told, by faith Noah, being divinely warned, of things not yet seen, listen, it never rained on the earth, never ever rained on the earth. The earth was watered by the four rivers that came out. It never rained before this. He was divinely warned by God of things not yet seen. Well, what's faith? 11.1, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Doesn't make sense, God, but I'm going to listen to you because you know God. Faith. Moved with godly fear. 
Now, hopefully we can tie this together before it's over with. Move with godly fear, not earthly fear, not suffering fear, not any fear that had anything to do with anything that was physical, but godly fear because his faith feared God and he wanted to obey God. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. See, that's what you and I do. When we believe God, we become heirs of righteousness along with Abraham and his children. When we believe God. And see, now this was a type. The ark was a type. It was a type. Really, it was looking forward to prefiguring the church that's in Christ. The church is the real ark. The church is the real fellowship, I should say. Not the big boat. You know, if you look this up, it's actually a box. Same type of thing Moses, who was drawn out, was in, covered in pitch and tar, just like the ark was. And really, it becomes, what, a casket. I know, my brain just goes there, sorry. That box is me being dead to myself and alive in the spirit by faith. And I'm going in there because God said I was crucified with him. And I'm going to go through the judgment because I'm listening and being obedient. So it's really my casket, that box is. Because I'm dead to self. Noah didn't do what he wanted to do. His children didn't do what they wanted to do. For 120 years... Go read it. It's in Genesis 6. I'm not going there today because it would get too crazy if we started talking about these demon spirits that were there preaching unrighteousness and leading people to do everything that they're doing. It would get too crazy. It's, a, it's a, another subject all in itself. But listen to me. 120 years. You know what 120 years is? 40. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. That's judgment. 40 is the number of judgment in the Bible. That's three 40s. 120 years. One of my favorite teachers, Adrian Rogers, he said, he, he, and I remember this from years ago, he said, this kid, young kid comes running home, dad, 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 he's screaming, dad, 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 he's like, well, calm down, calm down, dad, dad, help dad, 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 and, he, and he's pointing, he goes, you seen crazy Noah, didn't you? He's like, yeah, yeah, dad, dad, dad. He said, it's God's judgment's coming. And he goes, yeah, I know. I, I heard the whole thing, and so did my dad. 120 years preaching righteousness, preaching that judgment is coming. See, that's what people look at right now. We're saying Jesus is the ark. Jesus is where you need to be. He's the Savior. But there's other voices out there preaching, saying, yeah, we know. And there's scoffers and there's scorners. And they say the church has been saying that. But it's getting ready to happen, I'm telling you. The question is, are you moved with fear, godly fear, preparing an ark for your household? Are you building on the plan of God? By faith, even though we haven't seen it, and have you become heirs of righteousness? See, they did. They looked forward to Jesus and didn't even know who Jesus was. Angels longed to look into these mysteries, and they didn't even know. But they said, we believe you, God. See, because what it's about is believing in God's provision for the sin nature. God's provision. 
doesn't matter what provision he supplies, you got to believe in God. And then he provides, and then you follow his provision. You obey according to faith, according to what he says, because of godly fear, and then you receive the inheritance. So for 120 years, I didn't tell the rest of Adrian's story because it's conjecture and he made it up and I didn't repeat it. But Noah, for 120 years, never reigned, but God said, make an ark. So he did. Now whether Jesus goes into, listen, he took all the sins of the world on his flesh, right? Took all the sins of the world on his flesh. His spirit saves us. So his flesh dies. So there he is. He goes and he preaches to these spirits. I believe they're demon spirits. But I also believe they're other spirits. And in and, and, and Colossians, Paul talks about him leading triumph. And there was, there was this Roman parade that they would do when you were victorious in battle. And you would come and you would walk before everybody and they would have honor and they would give you all of this praise. And, and, and he was showing them that he defeated everything. And now all authority, all power, all glory. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. But he preached to these spirits. Let me just show you. Look at Jude 6 and 7. You know, let's do 8 also in Jude. There's only one chapter. So you got Jude 1 6 Now you know what let's start in 5 so you can get context but I want to remind you this is what we need is a remembrance of everything Though you once knew this that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe Why did they die Apistios, no belief, unbelieving. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, notice it wasn't nothing to do with the spirit, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. See, God give a promise. He's never going to destroy the earth with water. He's going to destroy it with fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. Look what they do. They reject authority. No hupotassoing. And speak evil of dignitaries. And then he talks about the Michael not even arguing with the devil over the body of Moses. But I just want you to see that there was demons. And we could be talking about this here. I don't know. But I do know that the demons, that a third of the, the angels in heaven rejected. They didn't hupotasso underneath God. And they rejected his authority in heaven. They followed the devil. They were cast down from heaven. And they came down here. And the Bible also teaches that they didn't just possess, but they had giants with the, with the, with the daughters of men. They, they created a super race. And they didn't keep their proper abode. And God put them in the abyss and would not let them out. 
And that's where all the demons are going to go eventually. And see, this is the issue, is that most Christians will say now, oh, there he goes, he sees a demon around every corner. And really, you know, Christianity is just about doing good or doing bad, whichever one. That's not true. It's not biblical. It's not real. There are demons that are trying to convince you to follow death culture, to reject the word of God. To reject the truth of God. To reject the voice of God. What? Yeah, the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. You guys with me? John 10, 27. It's actually all of John talking about the sheep in his pasture and that he's the good shepherd. They hear his voice. We talked about this Friday night. Do you know what voice is? Voice in the Greek is phone. P-H-O-N-E. Phone. Is it any wonder that demons have us following a phone instead of the voice of God? Because, see, Satan wants to be like the Most High God. So what does Satan do? He knows that we're supposed to be listening to the Word of God, which if you hear my voice, you're hearing my Word. And now you have a choice whether you want to obey my Word. And it's phone is the Word. Are you listening to me? Because God left us a phone message right here. 66 books by 40 authors. He left us a phone message. He left us a voice message that we're supposed to read and listen to and obey. The devil wants to be like the Most High God. So he takes everything and he puts it on a phone. And he can know where you're at with the GPS. He can feed you lies by taking down everything that's true from the internet and from all the sites that you would go look at. He can put up his own mediums, his own henchmen to control you, to teach you. And it may not be you. You might go, ah, it's no big deal. Guess what? It's your kids. They're growing up with these. They're listening to the voice of the world. They're listening to and around the world. Government phones. Oh, government TVs, government propaganda. It's the government of the devil who wants to be like the Most High God. So he uses technology. I'm not telling you you can't do nothing with this phone that would be good for God. My sermons are on here. I can punch up my sermons right now. I can punch up Adrian Rogers' podcast. I love Adrian Rogers' teaching. Good Southern Baptist preacher for years. But this is becoming what directs people's lives instead of the voice of God. Why is that important? Adam and Eve sinned. And what happened when they sinned? They tried to cover their sin by taking some fig leaves. And then God came walking in the garden. Adam, where are you? I heard your voice. And we hid ourselves because we were naked. How did you know you were naked? But he heard his voice. Listen to me. It's all about the voice of God. 
are you looking for, listening for, are you looking for the co-perception and the mind of Christ to listen to the voice of God and it lines up with the word of God which he has left as a phone message, a, a voicemail for us? Or are you being led by the systems of this world that are diametrically opposed to God? Because he loves you. He loves us. And he wants us to understand as he preaches to us, even today, he's preaching to us. He suffered once for us. And he died. And he rose again on the third day. And he gives us life. And that more abundantly. Then he went and preached to the spirits in prison. During that three days. I don't know what else he did. I know he told Mary and them not to touch him. Because he hadn't yet went to the father. Many say that was to pour out his blood on the true altar in heaven as a sacrifice. We're told that they're all shadows of things that are true in heaven. That's why we're supposed to obey and make all the implements and do everything according to that which the instruction says. You can't make it up on your own and go, this is close enough. That's what Eve did. God said, we shall not eat it nor touch it lest we die. He didn't say anything about touching it. He said, don't eat it. But sometimes we make up our own little stuff. And it's important that we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and give us that co-perception. Give us that mind of Christ. And when we all put on the mind of Christ together, man, can you imagine the unity? If we are all in unity and we're all concerned about souls and we're all concerned about, as, as, as um, Paul says to the church in Philippi, if we're all concerned with one another instead of ourselves, it puts us all on level ground. Self is such an enemy. All I'm worried about is my life and getting what I want to get, and I am not concerned about you. That's what the devil wants us all to do. Because it's the exact opposite of what Christ did. So he preached to the spirits in prison. To those who are dead. He actually tells you in chapter 4, verse 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. I don't know. I don't know whether it's demons. I like to think it was demons. I think they're back now. I think they are left their proper abode again now. That that was a prefiguring, that was a type But notice, for 120 years, he waited. God waited still. Even when he's seen that the intent of their hearts was evil continually, it tells us in Genesis 6. He waited 120 years to give them time for righteous Noah to preach to them. We're going to see that over in, what is it, 2 Timothy or excuse me, Second Peter 2. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
uh, 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing a flood upon the ungodly. So we know what, what he was preaching, because think about it. What better way, if you are not partaking in the culture, or if you are not doing, because you're walking in grace by faith and you're obeying God, what better way to tell them why you're not at the bar, why you're not doing what you used to do? What better way than to say, uh, well, uh, God told me that I needed to do this, and now I'm living for God, and now I'm going to start doing this. Because they're all freaking out. They're like, hey, 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 Noah, Noah, dude. Dude, we're like 100 miles inland. There ain't no oceans anywhere, and you are building this boat. What are you doing? Well, um, I was moved with godly fear, and by faith I'm going to build this even though I haven't seen it, and God told me that he was going to flood the earth. Well, what's a flood? Well, it's going to be a lot of water. It's going to be judgment. And so I'm going to build this. Would you like to go? See, the number, number eight is the number of new beginnings. All of his household believed, which is pretty amazing. But God can do that. And so they begin to build this ark. Have you ever been to the ark? You probably ought to take your family to the ark. There's a life-size ark. I don't agree with all their ministry, but there's a life-size ark. And, and, and I was amazed by it, to just pull up on the bus and look and go, wow, this huge ark, setting in the middle of nowhere, it's pretty expensive. Expand, I mean, it's just crazy to look at it and see it. I think it'd be great to take unbelievers to, that they would show up and go, wow, you really could build this? Built with gopher wood, just like it was built. Had to have it all shipped in from other countries. It's pretty amazing, really. Huge. But at the end of the day, it's only the Spirit of God that can bring people to Jesus. No matter how much we preach, no matter how much Noah preached, he was doing something that was crazy. He couldn't make the animals come. He couldn't do any of that stuff. He had to trust the Spirit of God. And he had to go into the ark. And you know, when God told him to go into the ark, you know what he said? He said, come into the ark. Because God was already in the ark. He was coming into Christ. It was a prefiguring. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because you, I am a, a, a humble, meek, and lowly of heart. He's not going to force himself upon you. But he has prepared an ark. The just died for the unjust once. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. That's why I told you verses 19 through 21 is commentary about verses 18 and 22. Notice the spirits, no matter whether they were demons and didn't keep their proper abode or whether they were just people who were doing their own thing and ignoring God, they were still spirits that are still in prison, that are still going to be cast into eternal hell. They were disobedient. They didn't subject themselves to God and His Word and to His righteousness. And God waited for 120 years, the whole time that Noah was building or preparing the ark. Then He says in verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, 
Now notice the parentheses again, commentary. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, let's read this. Listen to me. Look at 21. Leave out the commentary and read it with me again. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, if you leave out the explanation, it becomes more clear what he's saying. And this is not water baptism. Okay? If you remember in Noah's Ark, the same water that killed everybody else saved those eight. And it delivered them to where they were going. To Mount Ararat where they started a whole new beginning. I asked some people the other day that, and, and, and you, can, you can do this, and I, I, I sometimes trick people. I go, um, how many animals did Moses take on the ark? And everybody goes, I know that one too. I go, no, Moses didn't do any. It was Noah. Anyway, so that's a good little fun thing to do. But you ask him, how many animals did God take on the ark? And people are convinced that it's two because it said two by two they went on the ark. But he took two of the unclean animals and he took seven of the clean. I had somebody arguing with me the other day. They opened their Bible and they go, oh, you're right. I go, I know I'm right. And my wife was asking me this morning, was it two sets of unclean? Was it seven sets of clean? And I said, no, I, I believe it was seven clean animals of each species, kind is what it's called, and then two of the unclean. Why is that, Greg? Because the odd number, the first thing they did when they stepped out into their new beginning, they sacrificed that odd number and gave it to God. First thing they did was make sacrifice because they're alive. First thing we're going to do in heaven is lay, fall down and sing holy, holy, holy. We're going to worship because we now have life. All of these prefigure. And if you go and you look at the, the uh, Hebrew calendar, oh my goodness, this breaks my brain. I shouldn't even give it to you, but it's fun. If you really look at the Hebrew calendar, the same day that the ark was opened was the 17th in the sun, the same day that Jesus rose from the grave. I, I, mine's much greater than mine, figure that out, not me. I'm just telling you. Because it all prefigures, it all lines up. There's nothing that's abstract or crazy or happen chance with God. He's planned it all out. He's outside of time. He loves you. He knows what's going on. And he just wants you to surrender to him. Just subject yourself and he'll protect you from anything. Everything. Doesn't mean you won't suffer. But if you suffer for righteousness sake, it's much better than suffering for being evil. So, baptism is the baptism where you're supernaturally baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. And, and he tells the same thing there in Romans 8, again, by the Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. We become adopted in, grafted in. Again, water baptism See what he says there? Not the removal of filth of the flesh. You can't do anything in the flesh. That's why bapti water baptism doesn't save. See, if water baptism saved, it would be your works. And you can't be saved by the works of the flesh anytime. You can't be sanctified by works of the flesh. If I go, okay, now that I'm saved, I'm going to go do some stuff for God so I can get sanctified. It doesn't work. 
It has to be the spiritual things that God pre-appointed you to walk in, and He gives you the power. He gives you the direction because you're completely surrendering to Him and humbling yourself in His sight, and you're asking Him to direct your life, to direct your paths, to make your way straight. It has to be complete dependency upon God and what He's doing, not what we're doing. Think about it if Noah was saved for building an ark. No, he was, moved, he was saved by faith because he was moved with godly fear and obeyed. All he did was subjected himself to God's plan, God's provision, and because of that, even his household were saved because they believed because of his witness. And I would tell you, your household, your house, that's your first witness. That's why in the New Testament, when you look at the pastoral epistles, if you can't take care of your own house, you can't be in ministry. You can't be in service. You have to be the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. Another reason Joyce Myers is a heretic. She doesn't follow the word of God. It's that simple. And there's lots of spirits of Antichrist out there that want you to make up your own way, to do it your own way. God has designed everything in perfect order. And now everything is subjecting itself to what God says, except for mankind, who still has a free will choice to do what they want. And you can't make yourself better by putting on clean clothes, by washing yourself off, by cleaning up the flesh. It's not any wonder that we have knotless clubs everywhere and people go and they try to make their flesh better. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to be stronger. And then they get hit by a bus. And they forgot to consider their own soul and consider God. Not, I, listen, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody who got hit by a bus or anybody lost their loved one because they got hit by a bus. That's not the point. Don't send me emails. I won't answer them. The point is, is we think that if we Go do temple maintenance when the Bible clearly says bodily exercise profits little, very little. we got to be concerned about the good conscience before God, the good conscience, the co-perception, the mind of Christ coming back underneath and allowing the power of God to help us to be sanctified. We're positionally there. Practically, we're walking it out. One day we'll be glorified, cross the finish line. If we're not deceived in following death culture. Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that the apostasy has to happen before the son of lawlessness can appear. The apostasy means the great falling away from the faith. Why? Well, because everybody did what they did by faith. So the devil rushes in and attacks faith and says, you have to trust in faith. Trust in your phone. Listen to the phone of the world. You don't have to listen for the voice of God and trust in God. There's a lot of other ways we can live. Listen to me. It's all by faith. Confident trust in God. And once you come to that confident trust that Christ is Lord, then there's the constancy in it that we all stumble in, but we're learning to do it better each day as we practice righteousness. As we practice putting on the mind of Christ, as we get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, and we begin to say, Lord, what does this mean? Look at Matthew 24. I'm just going to go there for a minute. I'm not going to camp out there. Don't want you freaking out. 2436. This is a, di a discourse created by them going, When's it going to be, Lord? 
And he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. See, the angels are subject, but they don't know that day and hour. But my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen, it's the same again. Luke talks about Sodom and Gomorrah too. These are all biblical consistencies. These are all things that are there purposefully so that they're examples for you and I to learn about, to study, to understand, to see the signs of the time so that we know what's going on around us. Whose voice are you listening to today? Are you listening for the voice of God? Make no mistake, Revelation 3.20, what does he say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, what happens when somebody knocks on your door? You hear their knuckles? How does Jesus knock? If anyone hears my voice, my phone and opens the door, Anybody hears my word? Anybody hears what I'm saying? I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. The fellowship is restored. Make no mistake, the devil wants to be like the Most High God, but he can't be. But he wants to use everything in his power to deceive. And heaven, and, heaven was not made for fallen angels. Excuse me, hell was not made for flesh and blood. It was made for fallen angels. But those fallen angels are taking billions of people with them because they won't listen and pick up the phone and hear the voice of God and follow the Spirit of God and be led by the truth of God by faith. Cannot clean up your life by removing the filth of the flesh. It's like fishing. Catch them and then you clean them. So many people, you know what they want to do? They want to clean up their life and then I'll come to God. Once I get this out of my life, then I'll come to God. I know we've been there. Repetitiveness is a good lesson. You have to come to God. Let him catch you. Come to him and then he will clean you up. What is your answer? Oh, see it? The answer of a good conscience. What's your answer? What's your defense? See, when you get to heaven, it can't be, but God, I made a church. I built a church. I clean the bathrooms every week. The only answer at the throne room, why should we let you in here? The only answer is Jesus, his blood. There's no other answer to get into heaven. Your defense, Jesus, the just for the unjust. There's no other answer. If we at any time in our Christian walk look to something else to think that we're okay, we're amiss. We're in trouble at the heart of our Christian walk. If we look and think that it's because, oh, I know why God called me. Oh, yeah, that's right. I know why God, oh, yeah, he's going to, oh, yeah. No, we don't deserve it. 
None righteous. No, not one. We were unjust. And that's because we were born with a sin nature that rebels against God, hates God. The flesh is enmity against God. And so, we are baptized into the body of Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means to stand back up against resurrection. Now see, I believe the resurrection is the evidence of a perfect life. I am saved by his death, by his blood. But because he got up again, I have proof and evidence that he is the Messiah of God. Because the grave couldn't hold him. He's alive in the spirit. But it also means this. It means a recovery of spiritual truth. Not just to stand up again. But see, we were born dead. And then we recover this spiritual truth that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. We recover it. And that raises us from the dead. And we become resurrected to life. And now we're made alive by our spirit, marrying the spirit of God. And we get the inheritance because he's the husband. And the inheritance goes to the firstborn and to the husband. And we get that inheritance because he's our kinsman redeemer. We'll get into that some other time. But it's not about, the inheritance is not about the bride. It's about the groom. It's about Jesus. It's about what the father gave him. And when you marry into that, you get it automatically because it's his. And guess what? He doesn't have a sin nature. Remember, his father was the Holy Spirit, God. Our father's Adam, the first Adam. The second Adam is Jesus, once again, born of God. Virgin birth. No man, no inheritor to pass on the curse. So he passes on a new nature to you and me when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Then we get the inheritance. We're made alive in the spirit. And God no longer counts our spirit's rebellion against him. And then we can come to the, to the power of God and to the word of God and to the provision of God and to the entire inheritance. And we can begin to, to, to look and see what our identity is and then hand that out to other people as witnesses, as ambassadors from heaven. And other people can come and lay down their life, get in their box, be dead to self, their ark, and get in Christ And also be set free and not cast into hell. Believe me, hell is real. Believe me, if hell wasn't real, Jesus didn't need to die. It'd be all senseless, no purpose. What would he be saving us from? If there was no eternal judgment, what would he be saving us from? Because whether you are righteous or unrighteous, there's going to be suffering. 
just suffering because there's an enemy out there trying to kill us. You cannot be at war and go, everything's fine. Listen, if you don't have any war going on in your life right now, you better run to the cross and say, why am I not battling? If I'm yours, see, because proverbially, when you come into the kingdom of God, the enemy sees that and he goes, you know what? I'm attacking. You know what? You go, I, I tell people you go on a list in hell when you go on the list in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. And somebody questioned me about that. So where's that at in the Bible? Okay, listen, I'm just, I'm just saying. If your name goes in the Lamb's Book of Life, then the devil wants to contend with you. And if he can keep you from answering the phone, that's all he wants to do. Keep you from answering the phone of God, the voice of God. And beginning to obey because that's what salvation is. And you don't have to worry because what's it say here in 22? About Jesus after he suffered once for all the just for the unjust. He went into heaven. Remember the boy stood there and watched him. And is at the right hand. That's the hand of power of God. Hand of honor. The hand, he's the hand of authority. Remember Matthew 28, 18 through 21? All authority after he rose from the grave. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them to what? Teaching them to hupotasso underneath the authority. Because sin and death came from someone not hupotassoing. He's not just in heaven and at the right hand, but angels, all authorities, that's all delegated authority. That includes demons or anybody else that thinks they're in a position of power. All the powers have been made subject. They've been made, they've been subdued, they've been subjected, hupotassoing to him. The name above all names where one day every knee will bow to the praise of his glory. One day every knee will bow before Jesus. And then after the thousand year millennial reign and all of that stuff, he gives it all back to the Father. Because he did it all for the Father's glory. Question is, who are you subject to? Who are you subject to? Your phone or phone A? These phones are dangerous, people, I'm telling you. They can be used for good, but they are very dangerous. And they're getting more dangerous every day. When they're taking down all truth from everywhere. And the only thing you're going to get fed is what the indoctrination wants you to get. The next generation, the next generation, they are getting some Pretty crazy stuff. All of it lines up with the days of Noah. All of it lines up with Sodom and Gomorrah. All of it lines up with total disobedience to God. Who are you subject to today? Who are you sanctifying in your heart? What gets you up in the morning? Who is your ark? Father, pour out your spirit upon us. Thank you for Peter's testimony down the corridor of time. 
concerning these matters. Lord, help us to preach, herald good news to everyone we meet. Pour out your spirit upon us. Baptize us afresh and anew. Help us, Lord, to answer the phone, to hear your voice, to have a relationship where you know us and we follow you in obedience and allow you to clean us for your glory for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.